I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. And away we go on this Saturday night, the 26th of June. The year is 2021. This is Scoop Podcast episode 356. A few quick notes, then seven different conversations to get to. Yes, I know. Logically speaking, it would make a lot more sense for me to do multiple Scoop Podcasts per week. No, my schedule does not allow that, especially with baseball coaching duties. But congratulations to Droogie, my older son, making all-stars for our West Metro Association, playing well this week. They advance next week in pool play. Uh, elimination, single elimination next week. Went 3-0 and this week, so good times when it comes to baseball. Good times soccer-wise, too. My younger son can't stand baseball, says it's way too boring for his tastes. He plays soccer. He had a big goal in his game on Thursday. So thankfully the boys have mom's athleticism, not dad's. But yeah, because of that, I don't have time to record multiple podcasts, at least right now, per week. So we'll cram seven different interviews into this episode. You'll get your money's worth. All right. Emptying out my figurative notebook, Dawson Garcia, Prior Lake High School, McDonald's All-American just had a really good freshman year at Marquette. He is now officially in the transfer portal. This I feel good about. He is not going back to Marquette. And I also feel pretty good about him not wearing the maroon and gold. I don't see him playing for the hometown Gophers. I can tell you there isn't much in terms of an expectation with the Gophers. Where I can see him landing There is some Arizona buzz. North Carolina has interest, Illinois, George Mason, others. I don't know for sure where he's going to play. Do I think he goes the college route next season? I do. I think he will put himself in a position to be a first-round NBA pick one year from now. But I think Dawson Garcia plays a second year of college basketball. Arizona, though, there is definite Arizona buzz. But nonetheless, he is going through – The pre-draft process played well this week at the G League camp. Unfortunately, no big men were added to the NBA draft combine. So Garcia did not get elevated, but I know he impressed enough people at the G League camp. He has a workout coming up in the next few days with the Brooklyn Nets. He has already worked out for the Milwaukee Bucks and New York Knicks. He has until July 7th. To decide, but I'm telling you, my inclination is he will end up ultimately playing another year of college basketball. Dave Thorson, Gophers assistant, is in Arizona this weekend. Hardcore press on Braden Carrington of Park Center, the 2022 guard sharpshooter. He is a big time priority for Thorson and Johnson. Carrington was on this podcast a few weeks ago. If you remember listening to that, He spoke glowingly of the Gophers, how Ben has done a great job of connecting not only with him, but also with his mom, which is very, very important. But anyway, Carrington playing in a tournament this weekend in Arizona. So the Gophers all over Braden Carrington. McKinley Wright, Champlain Park High School alum, great run at Colorado, one of the best players in Colorado history. Heck, the last few years, one of the best players in the Pac-12. 
He told me, and you'll hear him coming up here on the podcast, he told me he has some workouts coming up in the next week with the Brooklyn Nets and New Orleans Pelicans. He has already worked out for the Cavs and Warriors. If you had a chance to catch any of the combine scrimmages on ESPN2 on Thursday, on ESPNU on Friday, you saw Wright play well, pick and roll, on-ball defense, his decision-making, his passing. McKinley Wright, that competitiveness, that toughness. I'm telling you, McKinley Wright is going to make some NBA franchise very happy. If it's a two-way deal, fine. He has to go to the G League first, fine. But McKinley Wright, I'm telling you, maybe I'm biased, but McKinley Wright is going to make some franchise very, very happy. So is Jericho Sims, Minneapolis native, Cristo Ray High School, just played four years for Texas. So his agency has a pro day on Monday in Chicago. Jericho then will work out for the Chicago Bulls on Wednesday. He's already worked out for who? I might be leaving out a team or two, but the Warriors, the Grizzlies, the Kings. He'll have more workouts after the Bulls. Interviews at the Combine for Jericho Sims. The Lakers, the Nuggets, the Jazz, the Heat, the Pistons, the Bucks, and Suns. Matthew Hurt, Rochester native, just had a good two-year run. At Duke, Dallas, the Mavericks were among his interviews at the Combine. Workouts coming up with the Celtics, the Thunder, the Pelicans, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Bucks, plus the Pacers, Jazz, Sixers, and Magic are all interested if the schedules can match getting Matthew in for a workout. The Wolves, it's now out there more so, but you knew about it listening to this podcast that the Wolves... We're hosting a big draft workout at some point in July. We now know Woj from ESPN advancing my note further. July 8th to the 11th, the Utah Jazz are helping in that process. But just about every team will be here, have some sort of representation. Maybe it's just a scout, but just about every team will have some sort of representation here. The goal is to have upwards of 45 players in town over those four days. As of now, the Wolves do not have a draft pick. Now, could they end up with a draft pick? Enough teams, the buzz from Chicago is, enough teams are open-minded to moving draft picks, especially in the second round, but even late first round. It would not shock me if the Wolves end up with the second round pick. If they don't, we've seen it the last couple of years. Nas Reed, after the 19 draft, seen it the last couple of years with this regime, with Rosas in charge. Nas Reed, after the 19 draft, Ashton Hagens after the 20 draft. Recall, Hagens was a really good draft prospect. He was one of the best players to not get drafted last year. Started with the Iowa Wolves. Then they went down to the bubble in Orlando. He found some off-the-court trouble, and the Wolves let him go. But signing Hagens was a savvy move. Signing Reed, clearly a savvy move. So the Wolves are going to be active the night of the draft, right after the draft, trying to secure at least one player on a two-way deal, or maybe it's an Exhibit 10. But point is, they will be very, very active the night of the draft, after the draft. And I'm telling you, it's possible they end up trading for a draft pick. Among prospects they interviewed in Chicago this week, Mac McClung, Georgetown, Texas Tech, Duke's Jalen Johnson, St. John's Julian Champenny. Plus more, but those are three names that are out there. Agencies are having pro days right now in Chicago. So like Jonathan Kaminga, expected top five pick. He just had a good run in the G League. So the Wolves, they have Gerson Rosas there. They have Manny Rohan. They have 
Zarko Durasic. They have a bunch of people, six, seven, eight people from their coaching staff and front office are in Chicago. So the Wolves are attending these pro days just to do their due diligence. Mike Nori is now official. If you listen to this podcast, there's zero surprise there with Nori, Pablo Prigioni, and Joseph Blair, the front of the bench assistant coaches under Chris Finch. Blair is going to run the defense. Prigioni can focus on offense. On Nori, all-encompassing. So he most recently was in Detroit. So you think about the Minnesota influence with the Pistons. Dwayne Casey, the head coach. Sean Sweeney, assistant coach, St. Paul native. Ed Stefanski, his son Kevin, used to work for the Vikings. I can tell you to a man that they will tell you that Mike Nori is a really good coach. And it's all encompassing. Game planning, thinks on his feet. Coached mostly the offense with Detroit, but it's not like he can't coach defense. So Mike Nori can help in many, many areas. So my understanding is, I've never met the man, but my understanding is Mike Nori is a really good addition to Chris Finch's staff. This is probably burying the lead. I texted with somebody that knows Ben Simmons incredibly well, that has working knowledge of all things NBA. My text the other day said, how badly, because I know the Wolves are fans of Ben Simmons, but my text was, how badly do the Wolves want to trade for Ben Simmons? This individual sent me a text back. It was one word, badly. Make no mistake, the Wolves have trade interest in Ben Simmons. Whether Philly moves him, hey, does Portland offer C.J. McCollum? Like, to me, that trade makes the most sense. Portland moving C.J. McCollum to Philadelphia, one for one for Ben Simmons. But make no mistake about this, Gerson Rosas is going to show, well, or already has, going back many, many months, interest in Ben Simmons. Jamal James Shango, Minneapolis-based, Minneapolis native boxer, really good boxer. He holds a championship right now, has a championship belt. He will have a fight in August. Look for it to be announced in the near future. It will be a pay-per-view card. It will be his biggest payday yet. So it's going to be a big card. I don't know if it's at MGM or somewhere else, but Jamal James is going to have a big, big opportunity later this summer in Vegas. The Twins are busy at the MLB Draft Combine. Hey, congratulations, Major League Baseball. You finally have a draft combine. Sean Johnson, Twins draft boss, is in Cary, North Carolina. Some other scouts, they have some medical personnel there. So the Twins have a heavy representation at the draft combine. Will Rogers is the only local hook. That's down there. Will Rogers, Moundsview High School, really good catcher. He right now is an Arizona State commit, but I suppose if he goes high enough in the draft, if the money is right, he could bypass going to college, playing in college at Arizona State, and go pro. But as of now, Will Rogers is on his way to Tempe to play for the Sun Devils. Doesn't seem like anything is imminent on the Twins trade front. They are open for business. Derek Falvey was on a recent scoop podcast but it's the old it takes two to tango most trades don't happen until like three to four days prior to the deadline or on deadline day which for this year the non-waiver trade deadline is july 30th i would put the over under at one and a half trades like i don't think the twins are making four or five trades do i think they probably make two yes is three a possibility 
It is. I guess four would surprise me. I don't think Barrios or Buxton is going anywhere. That doesn't mean that both guys are on the cusp of signing contract extensions. A long way to go. The Twins have tried for years to sign Barrios and Buxton to contract extensions. There's no sense today that they're any closer now than they were in 2019. A long way to go on both fronts, but there is no sense that the Twins are going to move either. Now, hey, if some crazy offer comes in, particularly for Barrios, if the Blue Jays offer the moon, if the Yankees offer the moon, the Yankees have some interest, but they're right up against the luxury tax. If the Red Sox make an unbelievable offer, the Red Sox have some interest in Barrios. Barrios has a lot of interest, you know, National League and American League across the sport. So if some monster offer comes in on July 25th, I'm sure Falvey and Levine will consider it. But right now, as I sit here on Saturday night at 7 o'clock on June 26th, I'm just telling you, nothing is imminent on any sort of Barrios trade front. He's been very, very good this year. It remains to be seen if it'll be as good August, September. He has worn down previous years, latter part of the season, but he's been brilliant. Jose Barrios has been one of the best pitchers so far this year in the American League. Plus, he's durable. Look all across the game. Look at all the injuries. Jose Barrios finds a way to stay healthy. That matters. All right, now let's get to a bunch of interviews. Let me begin with Joel Corey, former NFL agent, repped back in the day, Ed McDaniel, Chris Claiborne. So he's dealt with Rob Brzezinski of the Vikings going back many, many years. He is now a media guy, works for CBSSports.com, some other outlets as well. He is very active on Twitter. He knows so much about the NFL salary cap. I brought him into the conversation to educate us about the Daniil Hunter reworking of his contract and some other Vikings talking points. Here's my conversation from the other day with Joel Corey. Joel, your information is gold. Your insight is gold. I'm still absorbing what exactly this Daniil Hunter reworking of his contract fully entails. That's why I'm bringing you into the conversation because you can explain it better than anyone. So just lay out what exactly Rob Brzezinski, the Vikings front office, did when it comes to Daniil Hunter's contract. Well, when it was first reported, I was under the impression that they just stuck a $20 million roster bonus in there. And if they didn't get a deal done, it would be new money or there was some mechanism where if they didn't pay the roster bonus, he would be free. That is not the case. First thing they did is they gave him a $5.6 million roster bonus, which is being prorated. So it's essentially signing bonus. And they guaranteed the rest of his 2021 salary. So he's making the same amount of money he was making before, $12.75 million. Um, they're not penalizing for the workout bonus that he uh, didn't earn from missing too much of the offseason um, activities. And they got rid of the $5,000, $500,000 per game roster bonuses, which are still in the other years of his contract and were in last year that he didn't earn because he didn't play a game last year. So he's going to make $12.75 million this year. They get to prorate the five point six. They didn't add any new money into this contract. What they did was they took $7.25 million from 2023, moved it up to 2022, lowered the base salary uh, down to 1.4 million. So 
essentially it's an advance. Now, Rob Brzezinski, very bright guy. He's, I, he's been the Vikings cap guy, um, contract negotiator forever. He's been there so long. I dealt with him with Ed McDaniel and Chris Claiborne. <laughs> so Rob is one of the best in the business. So I was shocked with the initial reports. I'm like, there's got to be more to this. So um, I happened to find a way to get my hands on a draft of the contract. I'm assuming nothing changed from the version I saw. And the roster bonus, uh, which they put in for $18 million, um, there are a little, there's some conditions on it. First, when they did, first when they gave them the roster bonus this year, they added two dummy boarding years so they can sp- stretch it out and prorate it over five years. And even when the thing was first reported, I was like, do they have automatic conversion rights, which they do stick in a lot of contracts? Yes, they do have the right to convert this $18 million uh, roster bonus into signing bonus so they could prorate it out if things aren't going on negotiation. Obviously, the idea is he would get a new deal if he continues to play well, kind of like Adam Thielen did with two years. But if negotiations are there at an impasse or they're far apart, come fifth day of the league year next year, they can just convert the money and go from there. Rob Brzezinski then did something else, which is really smart on his part, not only getting the automatic conversion rights, the way the satisfy the conditions of earning this $18 million roster bonus, should it come to that, is one of them is reporting to training camp on time. So it's basically an anti-holdout clause if they haven't gotten a new deal done by then because payment of the roster bonus is in three different installments. The first $6 million is several days after timely reporting to training camp. So if Daniel Hunter wanted to hold out, he could forfeit the $18 million roster bonus and be in a worse position than if he'd done nothing. So Obviously, you would think that the idea is to get a new deal done um, next year because he is dramatically underpaid, but he doesn't have the hammer from a leverage standpoint like it was initially reported because Rob Brzezinski has built in protections through the automatic conversion rights and making reporting to training camp on time a condition for earning the $18 million roster bonus should it come to that. If you're Daniil, if you're Daniil's agent, Joel, is there anything you can point to and say, hey, we won that part of the negotiation? Uh, yeah, if things go south, then you've gotten $7.25 million more next year than you would have had the contract remained in its uh, original form. So, yeah, that's the, the win that they got. It's no different than what you've seen in some of these other situations where players underpaid and they advance money from future years. That was Stefan Diggs last year with the Bills. We saw that with Julio Jones. Um, and I think that was 2018, I believe, when that happened. Um, Steelers did it with Antonio Brown in a couple of instances. Uh, and, and last year, um, Stefan Gilmore uh, had that happen with the uh, Patriots. So it's not an unusual concept to try to placate an underpaid player who's outperformed his contract. But pretty clear. And you brought up Rob Brzezinski's name. I mean, the brilliance of Rob, I mean, you know, I mean, shining through in this instance that, that the Vikings can point to many wins with this deal. Uh, yeah. The fact that he's protected himself and didn't just give the agent um, a huge amount of leverage where they're going to be pressured to just 
give them a blank check and a blank contract and have them fill it out because they have to get the deal done um, by this time frame. Otherwise, he's going to be free. That's how I initially thought the deal was uh, characterized in media reports, but a um, little more than meet, meets the eye and the devil's in the details. Knowing Rob Brzezinski the way that I did from dealing with him, I was like, something can't be right here because Rob would never do that. So, like, full details, because, like, if, you know, if Daniil Hunter's agent, you know, somehow stumbles upon this conversation, he's going to say, or maybe Daniil would say this, Joel, that, hey, Daniil missed all of last year, had a very serious surgery, although I could argue any surgery is serious, but a neck procedure, very serious, right? That, that like, what sort of leverage did Daniil have, right? Like, None. None. He didn't right? have coming any. Off, he didn't have any off Missing an entire year in a major surgery, he didn't have any leverage, right? No. Plus, it's unusual to get a new deal when you have three years remaining on your contract. I know that the Cardinals did it last year with DeAndre Hopkins in a trade, but it's rare. It's a rarity. And then he just missed a year. Uh, granted, you expect him to come back and be the player he was. There are no guarantees. So he didn't have a leg really to stand on. Um, so this was really to me, the Vikings extending an olive branch where he gets, he gets the $5.6 million roster bonus payable within days of executing the contract. So that's a win for him. And granted, they weren't going to cut him this year. Um, this year's salary is fully guaranteed, but it's really next year where if they can't agree, he's going to be making 7.25 million more than he would otherwise. But the idea is that he's going to get a new deal. But the way the roster bonus was initially uh, presented in reports is not exactly how it works. What would be a fair deal for Daniil come next offseason that let's go on the premise that we are going to see just about the player we saw 2017, 2018, 2019? I mean, physically, you know, just talking to some people, he was training down at Exos in Arizona. They say, you know, no shock that, I mean, he's Hercules. I mean, that he's in phenomenal shape. So, and he feels like in his mind, even coming off the, the very serious surgery that he is going to bounce back. He is going to have a very solid year. So let's, let's go on that premise that Daniil has a very solid year come next March. What is a fair deal for Daniil? Well, the roster bonus in some respects doesn't give him the luxury of time of waiting on Nick Bosa, who I'm assuming is going to have a bounce back year. I anticipate Nick Bosa becomes the first $30 million per year non-quarterback. Uh, right now, the highest paid defensive player is Joey Bosa at $27 million per year. TJ Watt should surpass that um, when he gets a deal done, presumably before the regular season starts. Miles Garrett is number three at $25 million. So if Daniil Hunter is a double-digit sack guy or if he's not a double-digit sack guy and puts tons of pressure on the quarterback, you're, you're north of $25 million per year. Um, if he's anything remotely close to what he's been um, in the past and would have a case for being the highest paid um, defensive player in the NFL. You brought up Joey Bosa. I was told that Daniil, his representation, like uh, they were looking at that, maybe more so Daniil, and just saying, how the heck did Joey Bosa get that contract? If he's worth that, I'm certainly worth at least that, if not more. But like just how much of an outlier is that Joey Bosa contract? Oh, it's not because it built it built off of Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett was a 25. Don't forget, Joey Bosa was um, defensive rookie of the year. And then through like his first 20 games, had the most uh, had the fastest person to get to, I think, 
20 sacks in NFL history in terms of games. So we're not talking about a guy that's a slouch, but that's not going to be the benchmark. It's going to be TJ Watt. Cause I can't imagine TJ Watt signs a deal, which doesn't make him the highest paid defensive player. So that's going to be the new standard. And if you're talking about March, that's going to be the benchmark. If Daniel Hunter somehow waits and they convert the roster bonus. If you don't get a deal done in March, I'm letting Nick Bosa go before I do a deal because that's going to be 30 to me. That's the $30 million per year guy and a rising tide lifts all boats. But if you can get the deal that you want um, and you're satisfied with it, maybe you don't necessarily worry about what's coming down the pike, even though that's probably what got Daniel Hunter in this uh, situation to begin with, because to me, it was very apparent that, yeah, two guys, Cleo Mack and Aaron Donald, who were going to go to $20 million per year back when he signed his deal. So all I had to do was just wait it out or just look at, okay, if I'm going to be franchised, here's what you'd have to pay me. We're not remotely close to that. You need to get to that, the average two franchise tags, or I'll just play it out. And he didn't. Now he's got more money in his pocket. So if he wants to be a little more patient, he can. But for next March, you're probably talking if Joey Bosa's his benchmark with uh, T.J. Watt um, in the equation, yeah, he he should be able to get that. Good reminders on Joey. Maybe me saying outlier that that was too extreme. Thank you for for those reminders. How about just the overall job, uh, Daniel Hunter included, Joel that that Rob has done. You know, with with the tight restrictions in place with with this particular salary cap, we know it's going up here pretty quick come next year. But but this particular salary cap, it seems like. Not that I'm studying the entire league, you know, you know, deep down, but but it seems like that Rob has done as good a job. Daniil getting Sheldon Richardson at the money they got him at, some of the other moves the Vikings have made. It seems like Rob has done a very, very good job the entire offseason. Yeah, well, with the cap this year going down, that meant there were going to be some choices that had to make had to be made, which meant the safety room is now a different composition because uh Harris is gone. And one of your linebackers um, is now with the Philadelphia Eagles. But that being said, uh, Rob's done a pretty good job like he always does um, in terms of managing the salary cap. To me, he's one of the best in the business. Yeah, I mean, Anthony Barr takes the pay cut to come back. You know, they're able to sign, you know, Dalvin Tomlinson. They bring in Patrick Peterson. I mean, it just seems like, you know, just looking at the totality of their moves going back to March, like the Vikings are positioning themselves where they feel like, that they can be the team we saw in 2019, the team that won that playoff game in New Orleans, Cousins to Kyle Rudolph, corner of the end zone. They end up losing in the second round to the Niners. But that the Wilfs and you know them on down, Mike Zimmer, Rick Spielman, Rob Brzezinski, they feel like they've assembled a championship-level roster. Well, part of that may depend on what happens in Green Bay because if Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback, then he gives them a chance because of his greatness they're always going to be in the equation. If it's Jordan Love, I'm removing them because of an unknown quantity. But yes, the Vikings should be in the mix. And I don't think it's going to be like last year, particularly one having Hunter back gives you a force, which is a pass rush. And if Patrick Peterson is remotely close to being the Patrick Peterson he was most years in Arizona, then you've got a very legitimate number one cornerback. Take us through what exactly happened with Sheldon Richardson. So the Browns let him go. In April, so his options, you know, many, many weeks into free agency seemingly were, were pretty limited, but they then tried to bring him back. Sounds like they offered him more money than the Vikings, but I guess if you're Sheldon, you were probably upset that the Browns let you go 
in the first place. So Sheldon is back here at what appears to be a very team-friendly contract. Yeah, when you get let go at an inopportune time and you're going to hold it more against your own team, um, at least that's my experience as an agent. The player was like, well, I don't necessarily want to go back there. They kind of hung me out to dry. And now everyone spent money, particularly in a year when the cap goes down. Um, from something I saw that he said that the incentives were more makeable in Minnesota than in Cleveland. And he's maybe looking that, hey, I've, to maximize compensation, maybe this is the best place um, in terms of the overall dollars, even though a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush and hard money is what's in the actual contract because you never know what's going to happen. But part of the Hunter deal was that they cleared about four point five million in cap space, which made it easier to go ahead and sign Sheldon. Uh, Sheldon's only taken up a little over 2.3 because they added avoiding dummy year a second year so they could stretch out the $1.925 million signing bonus over two years. But but having him as an addition to the defensive line, a guy who has shown he can get to the quarterback um, is a huge improvement over what was last year. Yeah, I mean, he was good last year for the Browns. Played over 900 snaps. He was very productive. Now they have Dalvin Tomlinson, Michael Pierce, and Sheldon Richardson. So they're set up nicely interior of their defensive line. How about the, the rookie class? So the Vikings still need to sign at least a couple rookies, including Wyatt Davis, the offensive lineman they took in the third round from Ohio state. I think Joel Hill end up being their starting right guard. Like they open up September 12th in Cincinnati. I think Wyatt Davis is going to be one of their starting offensive linemen. Why exactly do you think they can't get a deal done so far with, with Wyatt Davis? Well, the third round is the only round in the draft where there's actual negotiation over dollars. Historically, the first two rounds, you get the max of the slot rounds four through seven. It's a signing bonus and minimum salary deals. This year in the third round, you had, I think, Nico Collins, the 26th pick, get 100% of the slot. Last year, the first eight picks had 100% of the slot. So you've had every pick that's signed so far get 100% of the slot. So if you want to get a guy signed this year in the third round, um, you're probably going to have to give him the full slot as opposed to it. It had been decreasing as you went down in the round, like 99.52%. Then as you got towards the end of the round, it was like 97.8%. So that's probably the biggest holdout more than anything else, him trying to get the full amount of a slot. That information is A+. They have a linebacker out of North Carolina that's also a third-round pick, and he's another guy that's unsigned. So you, you just answered the question. It's clearly, it's probably in all likelihood, the Vikings aren't quite at that 100% threshold. Maybe they eventually get there, you know, before training camp in late July, but don't you think, I mean, that's probably it, right? Yeah. Well, I think teams are holding firm to see if someone's going to take less than hundred percent and then you get someone to take less than hundred percent, then other teams are going to use that. Hey, well, the guy above you didn't get hundred percent. I can't give you more than the guy above you. And I'm sure the NFLPA is telling all the agents, hold firm on this 100%. So I think the third round may actually take longer to do than the uh, entirety of the first round. The Vikings would like to sign right tackle Brian O'Neill to an extension. So they took him in the second round a few years ago. He's been a starter since day one. He is a really good right tackle entering the final year of his contract. Any idea maybe what, what an extension could look like for him? I mean, talks. Are, are in the early stages, but I'm, I'm guessing just based on, on Brzezinski and Spielman's history, they get a lot of deals done, like right at the start of training camp. So if they get a deal done with O'Neill, maybe it happens, you know, July 25th, July 26th. Any idea what a, what a Brian O'Neill extension could look like? 
Well, the highest paid right tackle in the NFL is Lane Johnson at $18 million per year. Um, we had uh, Jack Conklin last year signed for $14 million per year. So I'm thinking that's probably what he's looking at as a floor. Uh, Jack Conklin, um, the free agent deal um, to leave the Titans for the Browns. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Braden Smith uh, because the Colts are trying to get deals done with um, – Darius Leonard, the the off-ball linebacker, and Smith, also the right tackle. That could be the most relevant deal because that'll be the latest data point. So if Smith gets a great deal, that's only going to help uh, O'Neal in terms of his quest to get a new contract. Another interesting one is Harrison Smith. So Harrison Smith is entering the final year of his deal, 10 years in the league. So he's in his early 30s, but he can still play at a high level. But I suppose the question is, you know, you're paying him for – for the future, can he still play at a high level 2022-2023? So how do you look at that situation, the Vikings potentially looking to extend Harrison Smith? Well, he's got some leverage from the fact that Harris is gone. So you're going to pay one or the other, and you didn't pay Harris. You franchised him last year, but this year opted not to. Um, you're probably going to have to pay him – at least 14 million per year. That wouldn't be the highest paid safety because that was two years ago. And we've had several guys surpass that. If I'm Harrison Smith, I'm looking at what an older safety, little, little younger, but uh, Tyron Matthew, um, 29, is optimistic about getting a new deal with Kansas City. I assume he's going to be the highest paid safety, at least temporarily until Jamal Adams signs. So uh, that will only help. Uh, Smith's cause in terms of getting up there above the $14 million mark, but I see $14 million per, per year as a floor. I'll leave you with this. The elephant in the room when it comes to any Viking salary cap talk is, is the Kirk Cousins contract. Just remind us how exactly that is structured. And, you know, if, if the Vikings see enough preseason training camp with Kellen Mond, you know, at what point could the Vikings look to move on from Kirk Cousins? Oh, you're not cutting him because the uh, next year is fully guaranteed and he's got a $45 million cap hit next year. So um, drafting Mon means you get off the Kirk Cousins holding a gun to your head. I've got all the leverage. If, if he shows anything, you would try to trade him next year or you would take the hit at $45 million, knowing that having a replacement, you, would, you can't the franchise number would be too cost prohibitive and you can't stick a transition tag out on anyway by a clause in the contract. So you may have to just let it play out and go from there and have Mon come in and be the starter come 2023. But the only real way to get out of the cousins contract is to find someone to take him in a trade um, next off season. And as you can imagine, I mean, you know, cousins is incredibly polarizing here in town. My comeback oftentimes, Joel, is like, be careful what you wish for. Even with maybe some of his faults, the Vikings did have a top five offense last year. It is still a run first offense, by the way, but Cousins has made a number of big throws. He made, he made a big throw to help them win that playoff game in New Orleans a couple years ago. Like my comeback oftentimes to Vikings fans is like, be careful. I love the idea that they drafted a quarterback relatively high, you know, in the top 70, bringing in Mond, that there's sort of a succession plan in place, but like, be careful. That's just that's my message to Vikings fans. I don't know if you agree or disagree on well, that. Well, the problem with Cousins is when he's good, he's really good, and his bad games are just bad. So that's the problem, that you want a quarterback who is more consistent. But 
he his best games you're thinking hey this guy's the the real deal and some of his bad games you're like wow we need we need a quarterback that's the biggest problem with cousins plus going dating back to his washington days there was kind of a tendency that he didn't necessarily play the best in the biggest moments he kind of got over that hump a couple of years ago when he did win a playoff game but nonetheless you saw the streakiness last year joel anything we didn't hit on vikings wise that you want to get out there I know. I think that that covers it. Good. I always appreciate your time. I try not to bug you too often, but you're fantastic. Remind people where they can find you, social media and everywhere else. Um, you can find me at Corey Joel. That's C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L. I have a regular column at CBSSports.com called Agents Take and also host a podcast called Inside the Cap on Salary Cap and Contract Matters. Joel, you're the best. Take it easy, okay? All right, take it easy. Look for talks. Brian O'Neill's representation, the Vikings to pick up at some point after the 4th of July, between the 4th of July and the start of training camp, which is approximately one month away. The Vikings put full pads on for the first time, first week of August. I've been asked a lot, hey, what did you think of OTAs? What did you think of minicamp? It's hard for me personally to glean a lot when guys are not in full pads. So that will change in approximately five weeks. All right, let's now get to McKinley Wright. So what happened on Thursday, the NBA sent out an email, made a bunch of draft prospects available via Zoom. It turned out I was literally the only one for like six minutes on the McKinley Wright call. So like this was worldwide. All sorts of journalists had access to talking to McKinley Wright, but a bunch of other guys were going at the same time. So anyway... What I thought would be a group press conference with McKinley Wright turned into a one-on-one conversation for about six minutes. My first question to McKinley was about the game on Thursday. So I watched a good portion of his game. So Jericho Sims and Matthew Hurt were teammates of McKinley's on Thursday and Friday. And he played really well on Thursday. Like I loved his game defensively. You know, I brought it up earlier in the podcast, his play when it comes to the pick and roll. So that was my initial question to McKinley. I asked him just about his performance because I talked to him right after he got off the court on Thursday. Here's my conversation with McKinley Wright. Uh, yeah, uh, to a certain extent. You know, I think in the first half, you know, I got uh, a couple of bad turnovers, Got the, uh, but it was some uh, first game jitters in this NBA combine. A lot of people watching, you know, you want to, uh, play to the best of your ability, and I think the Jitters got the best of me in the, in the first couple minutes of the game. But uh, throughout the game, you know, I, I calmed myself down, and, you know, I continued to pick up the ball at 94 feet, and I was able to find my teammates on out the pick and roll on open plays and uh, make it easier for them. So, yeah, I, I think I was able to showcase a lot today. Pick up on, on those Jitters. I mean, how nerve-wracking is it with so many NBA, you know, front office execs there in the building? Uh, it's kind of crazy, you know, as a kid growing up, this is what you dream of. And uh, it finally comes and fall in your lap. And, you know, we're here and, you know, it's a lot of people in the gym, you know, a lot of GMs, like you said, and 
um, you know, for everybody, you know, I think everybody was kind of nervous the first couple minutes of the game. And I think that's why we had such a slow start. But uh, once we were able to calm down and I was able to calm my teammates down and just uh, tell each other to play and tell myself to just play and do what I've been doing my whole career, uh, it became much easier. And, you know, we stopped focusing on who was watching and just uh, playing like, playing the way we were capable of. And, you know, we got a big, big lead and, and maintained it and won, and won by a lot. McKinley, how much better off are you right now in terms of being ready for the NBA compared to the last couple of years when you went through the pre-draft process? Uh, I feel like I'm, I'm I'm a lot more ready now. You know, I'm stronger. Um, I'm shooting the ball better. You know, my sister turnover ratios got higher. I mean, my defensive capabilities gotten better. You know, I'm trying to show that I can guard bigger guards. And I think I was able to showcase that, you know. Uh, both their point guards and, and Reeves and uh, Dwayne Washington, who were both uh, three to four inches taller than me. And I think I did a, a pretty good job in holding my own against those guys. So, Is that one of the talking points that you're bringing up when you're interviewing with teams, interviews today, tomorrow, yesterday? Is that among the talking points that you bring up when teams ask you, hey, describe the kind of player you are? Yeah, it is. You know, I'm, I'm a, a guy who likes to play defense and has a knack for the ball, you know, loves to defend at the highest level. And, you know, I like to take the challenge of guarding anybody. And, um, you know, today, you know, I guarded multiple people. Um, you know, I was in the post a little bit guarding. So um, I feel like I'm strong enough to guard bigger guards. And, you know, uh, my, my quickness, uh, I use that to my advantage as well. How grateful are you just for this opportunity to be able to to impress scouts this week? I mean, just to be able to be there at the combine. There's a lot of good players that did not get invited. Yeah, it's a blessing. And you know, when I seen the list that came out, um, I know that's not a lot of good people, like you just said, who, who weren't here. And you know, uh, I've always thank God first for you know putting me in this position. And um, you know, uh, secondly, I like to, I thank my work ethic and um, you know myself for. Uh, working hard every day and day in and day out to put myself in this position to be here. So, yeah, it's, it's a blessing and a dream come true. What will the next handful of weeks look like? Will you get back here to Minnesota at all, or are you training down south? Uh, I'll, I'll be in Phoenix still. Um, I won't be back in Minnesota. Uh, I don't think if I do come back, I'll probably be back for a couple of days or so. But um, after this, you know, I head to Brooklyn and then to New Orleans and then back to Phoenix for uh, training. So. Are you enjoying traveling and, and, you know, trying out for, you know, whether it's the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Warriors, are you enjoying those, those individual team workouts? Yeah. Um, it's a blessing to, to be invited by those teams to come work out and showcase what I can do. Um, you know, like I said before, it's a dream come true to, true to be in this position. So I'm thankful. How cool was it to have Minnesotans, Matthew Hurd and Jericho Sims? Man, it was fun. Those was my guys, my AAU teammates uh, for a couple of years. And you know, I got to play with those guys and, you know, I told him yesterday, you know, we got the AAU squad back together. So uh, it was kind of, it was really fun to be able to play with those guys and throw Jericho a couple lobs. So, And just a reminder of the high level of basketball here in Minnesota. I mean, I think you think about the draft last year with uh, Trey and Oturu and Steve Naji and Tyrell Terry and Freddie Gillespie yeah. now in the league. And now you look at this year's class, Jalen Suggs and, and all you guys playing today. It's, you know, I think Minnesota's starting to wake a lot of people up. You know, um, I, I get asked a lot, you know, where – we didn't know. Uh, people always tell me all the time, like, well, we didn't know Minnesota had good basketball players. And over these last couple of years, you know, starting with Tyus and, and Rashad Bond going to the NBA, you know, you know, from there, you know, it's 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 starting to rain down now. And, you know, we got the, the, the list you just named, including our class here. And then we'll have Chet next year and uh, Dane Danger eventually. And a lot of guys that will uh, still be coming out. Trey Holloman, when he gets to uh, a little older and, 
Uh, we got a lot of guys that's going to be coming uh, to the NBA, you know, from Minnesota. So uh, people are starting to put some respect on our state and our names. Easy young man to root for. He has developed a nice bond with Damian Lillard of Portland. I love hearing that, that Damian Lillard is bonding with McKinley Wright. Let's continue the basketball theme. McKinley Wright back in the day played AAU for D1 Minnesota. Cam Heidi of Wyzetta plays AAU for D1 Minnesota. He recently committed to Purdue. He told Ben Johnson and the Gophers no. Hey, Matt Painter has been on Heidi for two years. Heidi's dad went to Purdue. Heidi's uncle went to Purdue. That was really tough for Ben to make up ground on Matt Painter over the course of just a few weeks. Yeah, Ben did recruit Cam a little bit when Ben was at Xavier, but it's just, it's a different animal now. I really think it's fair to really evaluate Ben local recruiting classes of 2023 and 2024, but I do think he is going to land at least two kids from the 2022 class, but he misses out on 2022 wing Cam Heidi. Here's my conversation with Cam on his commitment to Purdue and telling Minnesota no. Why Purdue Camden? Why Purdue? Or maybe the better question is, with your family history, as long as Matt Painter was recruiting you, maybe the better question is, why not Purdue? I mean, it, it was really the best decision for me. Uh, I took an official visit there two weeks ago, and I got to see the players, the coaching staff, the campus, all the facilities, and it just kind of felt like home. And um, like you said, with, with the family ties, um, and Coach Painter recruited me for so long, that was the best option for me. Even without the family ties, and it's dad and uncle, right? But even without yeah. the family ties, for as long as Coach Painter was recruiting you, the program they have, the way Coach Painter develops players, regardless of the family connection, was it almost a no-brainer? I would, I, pretty close, pretty close. Um, like you said, they have a great history of, of teams, and obviously Coach Painter is one of the best coaches in the country. Um, and, and the way that he talks, he thinks that I can play a big part in the success in the future. Take us through the official visit. So... Like, were you leaning the direction of Purdue and then just you go there for the official visit and it just it put everything over the top? Uh, yeah, for the most part. Um, they were probably one of the top schools on my list. Um, and then, you know, being there and, and being able to see the campus and seeing the coach and hang out with all the players and kind of get that feel and the family feel that they talked about quite a bit, that kind of just solidified it as the best option for me. Coach Painter has coached a lot of really good players over the years. Mm -hmm. When he talks to you, does he compare you to anybody that he's coached over the years? Yeah, he does. He, he kind of picks apart bits and pieces of certain guys' games, and obviously he says that I'm my own player and I'm my own person, and you know he doesn't directly compare me to one player, but he's shown me film and shown me clips where I can succeed in different ways uh, based off the players they've had in, in the past. Who are some of those players? Uh, Vince Edwards, Dakota Mathias, Ryan Klein, which is a good list of guys. Yeah, I mean, and, and it goes back even further than that. Like, Vince is just a few years ago, but, like, Matt's been there forever, right? Like, how comforting is that, that you know, with so much changeover, like it seems like Matt is going to be there for a really long time. Yeah, that's one of the things that, that one of their assistant coaches had talked to me about is, you know, you're coming to play for Coach Painter and he's going to be here for a while. So knowing that he'll be there for, for quite a bit, it's, it's very comforting, like you just said. Is there a sense of relief? I mean, as you know, the recruiting process can be draining, probably fun at times, but mm -hmm. certainly draining mentally for sure. Like, sigh of relief? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's fun to meet different coaches and different players and just 
you know, kind of going through it is, is part of the process. But, but knowing that I'm done with it and knowing that I'm going to be in a good home in a few years, it's, it's very comforting. What are some things you need to work on this summer? Heck, you played at Eastridge over the weekend, right? So you got some good run over I the weekend. I didn't play over the okay, week. Okay, I saw you listed on one of the rosters, but you didn't play? Uh, no, I didn't play. Um, but, yeah, so, so kind of the main thing that they talked about is um, with me, you know, lifting the past year and becoming stronger, that's something that can help me um, at the next level. And then, obviously, uh, my ball handling needs to improve. And then also it's a, it's a different level of physicality, and you have to be able to guard anybody in, in the Big Ten. So um, improving my ball handling and defense are kind of the main things. How much of this is just it's a dream come true that this is something you've been aiming for for so long and and now it's becoming a reality it's definitely been a dream come true um and to have it become a reality i, I can't wait for it. it it still feels like a dream like you just said and and you know finally being able to get on campus in a year or so it's i can't wait think about like where things were this time last year compared to now you know just think about the last couple of months right you guys celebrate a state championship you make your college commitment like you know things were you know down here right and now right now they're like way up here yeah i mean just the uncertainty of everything um last year we couldn't play in front of any coaches and you know it was kind of a blessing in disguise i had broken my foot um and couldn't really play for six weeks so right around two months and you know it kind of helped me a little bit so i could um, mentally and physically just you know be ready to come back on the court as best as i could and then um just now that, that i've made my decision and we've been able to get through those low points it, it feels good the feedback been like specifically on on social media uh i've it's been all love which has been great um you know obviously a couple people wanted me to stay home um which is is expected um but just seeing all the support it's made me feel good i mean i'm assuming too like arizona had interest right like i'm assuming there's some arizona like that's just yeah, yeah, that's, that's just the fan happen. base's yeah. nature right that's going to happen was it hard though to tell minnesota no uh, yeah, it was, it was hard to tell a lot of uh, schools no. Um, just they've taken their time to recruit me and, and spend time with me. So to tell them that I'm not going to be playing uh, basketball for them, it, it can be a little hard. But at the end of the day, I know I made the right decision. You did take the unofficial visit. Heck, you put on the Gopher jersey and you yeah. put the image out. So, I mean, was that part of it that maybe some Gophers fans got excited because they saw those pictures? Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd definitely say that, um, you know, putting that stuff on social media and, and people seeing that can give them a little bit of hope and, and just a little bit of happiness. But, um, you know, I'd done the same thing if I'd have gone on other visits, but um, Purdue happened to be my second visit and I made the decision right after. I mean, my thought would be, and you can agree or disagree, but that Ben Johnson is going to do a good job. He is going to get some local players, but we probably need to look more so at the 2023 class, the 2024, that him just coming in, like that's a lot of ground to make up in a short amount of time when Matt Painter was recruiting you for so long. Yeah, absolutely. Um, ben recruited me a little bit while he was at uh, Xavier, um, and then obviously he offered me or, or re-offered me when he got back to Minnesota. Um, but like you said, it, it, it's hard being a new coach in the Big Ten, and, and he's a young guy, but I definitely think he'll succeed um, in, the, in the coming years. We're catching up with your teammate Carter. How happy are you for him that, that he commits to St. Thomas? I'm super happy for him. Uh, I've been telling him that for a long time that he should go to St. Thomas, and it's going to be a good fit for him. And when I saw that he posted it, I was super happy. 2022 class, like, you know, you think about him and you, and I just saw a kid from Cottage Grove, Park Cottage Grove, got a Gophers offer, and you know, Holloman and a Leg Bay, and go up and down the list. Carrington and Watson is is blowing up. Like the 2022 class is off the charts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we're one of the most underrated states when it comes to basketball, and specifically our class. Um, you know, the 2019 class with Matthew Hurt and those guys, and then Dawson and Kerwin the next year. Um, I think it, it, we're super underrated when it comes to basketball, and. Um, super slept on, but I know that, that we've been putting on for the state and you know all the nationally ranked players that we have. It's been it's been fun to see. 
Good health-wise now? I mean, you got through the season, but that was a very serious injury you had. Like, are you taking it easy at times this summer because of that? Uh, not really. I'm kind of fully healthy now, and, and it's been good to get back on the court and, you know, knowing that I've been able to play um, at my full, full strength has been good. So what will you do the rest of the summer then? Will you get some run in July with D1? Yep, yep. So uh, in July we go to Birmingham, Indianapolis, uh, and then Omaha as well. So how much are you just looking forward to, to getting back in the grind of that? Uh, you know, it, it'll be good to get back in the grind of it. Um, and, you know, I kind of have the pressure off my shoulders, and I can just go out there and play and have fun and, and try to help those guys get recruited and help them go to where they want to. Take me through when you told your dad, you told your uncle, hey, guess what? I'm going to Purdue. What was their reaction? I mean, they had a great reaction. They were super happy um, with both of them going to Purdue and, and kind of their, their family ties growing up right there. Um, when I told them, uh, my dad had a huge smile on his face, and then um, my uncle had, I could definitely hear the excitement through the phone, so they are both pretty pumped up. Cam's teammate, they led the Trojans to a big school state championship in April, is Carter Bierke. Six foot nine, big man, one of the best shooters in the state. They, Heidi and Bjerke, will have a great chance to lead YZ to another state championship next year, as long as they stay healthy. Bjerke recently committed to St. Thomas. He'll play for Johnny Tower and the Tommies. He turned down Ivy League opportunities. While at YZ catching up with Heidi, I caught up with Bjerke. Here's my conversation with the latest commitment to St. Thomas Division I basketball, Carter Bjerke. Carter, just take us through. I mean, you had options, but hey, you get to stay home, the move up to D1, Coach Tower is as good as it gets. Like, I suppose committing to St. Thomas, probably not a real tough decision. No, not at all. I've known Coach Tower for almost my whole life. Actually, Coach Schnettler went to St. Thomas. My mom and my dad went to St. Thomas, so there's a lot of history there for my family. It's a really special place to me, and they're building something really special because I remember when they went D1, I was like, wow, this is, this is going to be an awesome situation and place. And I was like, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that building block. Um, they call it being a founding father is what they called me. Like, every, all, the whole city is going to remember us, so I think it's really awesome, and it's going to be a great experience for me. So, okay, so you find out the news whenever that was, not that long ago, that they're making the move up. Uh-huh. Were you just waiting, just hoping that that phone would ring or the text would come in, however it came about, that the offer would come in? Yeah, well, when they first were getting rumors and they got kicked out of the MIAC, uh, Tower came to me and was like, I think we're going to go D1. So he told me right away and he said, we're really interested in you as a recruit. We love your game and we know you really well. And yeah, I was just kind of waiting around. We had talked a lot. I've been to campus a few times. And then he Zoomed me a couple months back, oh, probably like six or seven months back, and reached, uh, extended me an offer. And I was really glad. And yeah, it was just awesome. So I've had a great, great experience with Coach Tower. Take me to the moment last, was it last week? Maybe it was a couple of weeks ago and you just made the announcement last week. But when you told Coach Tower, hey, guess what? I'm on board. Yeah, we were on an unofficial visit with my mom and dad. And I kind of knew I wanted to do it. But we, were, we walked through and talked to all the coaches, got to meet all the coaches face-to-face. And we were all just sitting in a, in a room and talked for about an hour and a half, just game plan and like what I liked and disliked about St. Thomas. And yeah, and I told them and they were just ec- ecstatic. They all shot up and gave me hugs and were high-fiving. I mean, it was just an awesome, awesome moment for me. 
Was there anything on the dislike list? Like from afar, I would think, like, especially when you mention your family history and being here in town and, and this great move up, this unprecedented move up, like to me, like maybe there's a dislike or two, but like, I would think the like list like has to be really, really long. Well, I should have mentioned, they asked what I disliked and I said, well, not much, not anything really. And, and then I said, I'm going to commit. So nothing really. I, I really love the school a lot. Is there a sense of relief that, that I'm sure at times I was talking to Camden about this, the recruiting process, it can be fun, but it can be taxing. Like yes, you just kind of sure. say, okay, thankfully it's over. Yeah. Yeah. At the beginning, it was really fun and exciting with all the coaches reaching out. But after a point, it just gets, it gets really re repetitive and some, sometimes annoying, but it definitely is a relief because now I'll be able to live out my senior year and just play free. Me and Cam will be able to play free and hopefully repeat as another state championship for our school. I was at your game against Minnehaha during the season in the Minnehaha gym. I went with a coaching friend of mine who coaches in the Mayak. He loves your game. He says your game is perfect for the next level. Would you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that assessment. Why is that? Um, I feel like my shooting stroke and my ability to stretch out the court is something that will really value a team. And St. Thomas, I know I can fit in well there with Coach Tower, and their offense is very similar to ours at Wyzetta. So I know I'll be able to fit in with that program just awesome. And I'm obviously a big body, so I can get rebounds, play defense, guard whoever I need to, and uh, just and my playmaking ability as well, being able to pass the ball, distribute the ball to my teammates whenever they're opened. Uh, is also another big bonus that I can bring to a team. Are the growth plates still open? Like, will you even grow another inch or two? I mean, I don't think so. I don't think they're still open, but you never know. Maybe maybe I'll be 6'10 next year, but I think right now I'm just going to, I'll be staying at 6'9 for the rest of my life, which is a great height for me, I think. Yeah, I mean, 6'9, I and mean, you touched on it, but like your ability to shoot the three, like, and I'm not saying this because you're standing here, like, I'm not quite sure there's five better shooters in the entire state than you. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I definitely can shoot it well, and I my percentages are really great, and I think anybody in the state would, would say I'm at least a top five shooter in the state. Who was the toughest school to say no to? Um, really, I think it was just kind of the Ivy Leagues because they offer that such high level of education, and that, that is really kind of just an amazing experience and uh, opportunity itself. But I think I... Uh, I talked with my family and friends and we just decided St. Thomas was the best because you can get a phenomenal education at St. Thomas as well. So I just felt like the the, the benefits kind of leaned a lot more towards St. Thomas for me personally, but I don't know, maybe other people would disagree, but I definitely think St. Thomas was my, the best decision for me. When you say friends, I mean the family's obvious, but who are some friends that you leaned on for advice? Well, Cam for one that you just interviewed, um, he's uh, he's been a great help to me kind of when the recruiting process started because he was he was in it before me when uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin offered him early in the 10th grade year. So he was a really big piece. Also Drew Berklin, um, not, uh, he's a great baseball player, football player, and basketball player. So he's obviously a super high level recruit for baseball and he was getting recruited by the U a lot and committed there a while back. And he was also um, just a, a great piece for me, just a great, um, great guy to ask questions for and he's one of my best friends I'll leave it with this how proudly do you wear that shirt just how much fun how enjoyable has the last few months been when you get to celebrate a state championship and then you make your commitment you know it's just been awesome man um we still i still haven't lived it up yet i'm still kind of when people ask they're still congratulating me here and there when people see me so i'm still living it up hasn't quite hit me yet that we did it and the commitment too, but it's been a great couple of months here for me.
by my count, Bjerke is among, and my buddy Ryan James could give you probably the exact number, but by my count, there are going to be at least 23 to 27 players here in the state of Minnesota in the class of 2022 that end up playing Division One basketball. So Bjerke, one of those many. I appreciate his time. Well-spoken young man. All right, let's now transition to John Anderson, Gophers baseball coach. I was over on campus on Monday. I caught up with John. He has signed his new contract. His contract was set to expire on June 30th, but he has a new deal. It's in place. He has put pen to paper. Mark Coyle still has to put pen to paper, but that's a formality that is going to happen. So I caught up with John about being back. He'll be back for a 41st year as Gophers baseball coach. John, it certainly seems like it was a process, but how grateful are you that you for sure will be back for minimum year 41, hopefully year 42 and beyond? Yeah, it's a good feeling, you know, to, to be able to know what's ahead here now uh, for me and, and, and my leadership of the baseball program here at the University of Minnesota. And, you know, contracts are, are take time and it's all about negotiation and, and people want to have language on both sides, both the university side and my side that uh, work going forward. And uh, so it was really just took some time to eventually get the language uh, where we wanted it on both sides. And uh, I'm glad we've reached that point now. And like I've said many times, I don't need a, a five-year contract right now. I, I, I think uh, right now I'm more interested in, in how effective I can be on a day-to-day -day basis and then passion and energy level I have for our, our, our kids on the program that I can give them the help that they need to have a quality experience and so we can have a, a successful program here. And, and uh, so, you know, I'm going to be here until I finish my career, and I think the university agrees with that, and that's the place we're in. So whether I have a two-year contract or a five-year contract, I don't think that's the, the big question here. It's going to be about uh, where I'm at and, and personally and, and, and the, uh, whether I want to continue to do this and can do it in an effective manner. So I'm, I'm glad we're here, and I think we have an understanding, and we can add a year before the first year ends if, we, if I feel like I want to continue forward. Um, if not, then and I get to a point where I think uh, my time's coming, I think it'll give us time to, to, to plan a transition and, and, and look at some succession planning and, and, and start looking for the next person. And, uh, um, and, and so I, hopefully I get to be a part of that process, and I think that's the intention right now today. And, and so I think it, it, it's, a, it's a good contract. It's a fair contract for where I am at in my career, and, and uh, you know, I've done it for 40 years, and I think they know what they have, and, and I know what uh, what uh, the university wants from this program and what the challenges are. So, uh, like I said, I stayed here as long as I have because I think in the big picture, our values match up, and uh, I think they continue to do so, and I think the contract extension was all part of making sure we're all on the same page going forward. Was there ever any doubt that we would get to this point? Uh, probably. There always is doubt. You don't know what's going to happen. and. Uh, we're also really at a challenging time in college athletics right now because of the pandemic and the loss of substantial amounts of revenue uh, over the last year and a half. And, and there's a lot of uh, forces at play right now with uh, the, the NLI discussion going on, you know, name, likeness and image. And, and now there was just a Supreme Court case uh, landed about, uh, you know, they got to provide uh, more financial resources to some of our student athletes. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of forces at play here. And, and, uh, 
Um, so you just, you don't know, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, it's, it's, it's all about revenue. And, and at some point here, if the revenue is trying to run a large, you know, 23 sport program here and takes a lot of resources. And so you don't know. I think this, this is a time of uncertainty. I think we're getting a reset here in college athletics. I think the pandemic started it. Some of these other issues have been at play for a few years now. They're finally coming to some sort of conclusion. And so I think you're looking at a, a reset here and what that reset's going to look like over the next two, three, four, five years is going to be a, an interesting time, I think. And, and uh, hopefully we can come out of this and, 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 and uh, get reset here in a positive way and we can go forward here and have a successful athletic program. Give us a little bit more on today's news, the Supreme Court decision, 9-0. Like, yeah. it was pretty definitive if you read how they how they wrote it. I just wrote par- I read parts of it. Yeah, yeah, pretty definitive. And, uh, you know, the law is the law, and there's laws on the books, and I'm not an attorney. I don't understand all the history there, but uh, obviously a pretty strong case. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how that goes forward, whether conferences are going to you know, create their own, you know, uh, uh, rules and, 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 and ways they go forward, uh, adopting some of these uh, these new opportunities for the student athletes, or whether it's going to be a, you know, a national NCA mandated thing in terms of how that all comes together. Because, you know, if one one school is doing one thing and another is not doing the same thing, then you have that competitive uh, advantage disadvantage that comes into play. So I, it's going to be an interesting time. And obviously, there's some schools that have more resources than others, and so that's going to be impactful. So. What happens? I mean, what happens is it affect the the Olympic sports um, because you got to find revenue to, uh, you know, obviously be in alignment with what the law says you have to do. And and so what's the impact going to be and who's it going to impact and and how deep is it going to go and some of those things. So that's when I when I say that I think this is going to be an interesting time. I I think it's going to be a reset here in in, in a lot of ways. And the financial I think the financial pressure on, you know, athletic departments across the country are is going to go up and. so it's going to be interesting. We're going to have to get creative and, and find ways to uh, uh, take our programs forward. And I think from an Olympic sports standpoint, my own program, here, I think it's going to uh, force us to get out and fundraise more and find people to support you that want to support your program and your purpose and why and, and have an interest in, in, in supporting our student athletes. And I don't think you can just rely on the department or the university to provide all the funding it's going to make if we want to have a competitive program in the Big Ten. And, and uh, I've done that throughout my career, and I don't think that's going away anytime soon. It's probably going to ramp up even more so here. So it'll be interesting to see how this sorts itself out over the next 12 months. Just a reminder that a lot of what you do isn't necessarily on the field coaching. It's assembling the roster. So general manager, it's fundraising. Like, it's all-encompassing. Yeah, you wear a lot of different hats. And uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, I wrote a book with a colleague of mine, Rick Abram, and why good coaches quit and how, and, and, and how to stay in the game. And uh, and a lot of that's about all the different hats you have to wear and all the different things. Everybody loves practice. Everybody loves 230. Everybody loves the games. But there's a lot that goes on. And that's why you need really quality assistant coaches that can can, can really uh, help you, uh, especially with the, from the player development side, and take care of parts of the, the enterprise that uh, frees me up to do some of the things that I need to do so we can have a successful program. And so that's why you need a team of people, a uh, team of support uh, people that can really help us do all the things we need to do here to be successful, whether it's recruiting, whether it's player development, you know, uh, whether it's uh, scheduling and, and all the things that go into having a successful program. We have to divvy that up and everybody has their strengths and I give my assistants uh, lots of leeway to do their jobs and, 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 and help out here so we can, we can, I can be effective doing the things that I need to do to, to have a successful program. We went through that and we built this new Siebert field, you know, spent a lot of time fundraising. 
Um, but we have to, if we're going to have a program, we've got to have a facility. So that was a critical component. And, you know, Rob Fornasier was here then, and he picked up a lot of the, some of the things that I had to let go of because I had to get out there and, and, and start shaking hands and get the knee pads on and begging for people to support our program. And, and so that's, that's why you need a, a strong staff of, of, of people around you to allow me to be able to do some of the things that have to be done today if we're going to have a competitive Big Ten program. My first question, I said year 41 next year, you in charge. But what year is this total, you just being associated with well, I Gopher came, Baseball? I joined the Gopher Baseball program as a walk-on in the fall of 1974. So I've been coming to this facility. It was a different, it was Beerman at the, it was Beerman Field at the time and then became Siebert Field in 1979. And then we tore old Siebert Field down and built a new one. So what's uh, 1974 to 21? That's a good, what, 46? 46, 46, 47. So what I'm getting at is 50 would be a nice round number. <laughs> like, can we put Let's you here for 50? Hey, let's just try to get through today and this week, and we'll go to the next week. And and uh, so I've never counted years or games or wins or any of that stuff in my career. I'm not going to start now. Like I said, I just need to stay connected to, to where I'm at to make sure that when I come here each day, I can bring my best uh, version of myself. And uh, that's what I'll pay attention to. But yeah, it's uh, from a lot of ways I've been blessed to be able to, to be connected to this program and university for as long as I have and the relationships that I've been able to develop and, and, and have today of from players to assistant coaches to alumni to all the people that I've met in this community and have supported our program is just incredible. And that's the part I, I every day I, I, I feel blessed to, to have those relationships and I'll cherish those memories the rest of my life. I could talk to you all day again. I just have one. Uh, John, just your idea of St. Thomas now making the Division One jump. What are your impressions on that, and how good is it to grow the game to not have one but two Division One programs in not only the state of Minnesota, but even just in the Metro? No question. It's great for baseball to have another D Division One program. You know, I've said for years we're the only Division One program in the state in baseball. It's going to help in scheduling, especially midweek games when you're challenged by the missed class days and travel and you know, North Dakota State and South Dakota State were two of the closer non or Division One opponents for us. So it'll be nice to have another here. Um, and uh, St. Thomas, uh, you know, it's going to be a, a work for them uh, to, to jump into Division One baseball. But, yeah, we're going to play them a number of times next year, I think four times next year, just because they're here and it's a midweek game for us. And we're going to help them build their program. And, and uh, you know, so I, it's wonderful that we have. And I think it will it'll grow the interest in kids playing baseball in our state as well because there'll be more opportunities for kids in our state to stay at home here in Minnesota if that's what they choose to do. And great school like St. Thomas to have baseball, get a great education there as well. I think it's only going to help baseball in our state. Let's hope that year 41 turns into year 42, potentially year 43 for John. And then he can be involved in whatever the succession plan is, if they want to bring in a coach in waiting, or maybe the coach in waiting is on the staff. I just hope that John can help select his successor. Let's continue the baseball theme Sunday at Target Field. Sam Hentges, he was on this podcast a couple months ago after he made his major league debut. So he's a graduate of Moundsview High School, class of 2014, helped lead Moundsview to a state championship. It was a long journey. It was a fourth-round pick of the Indians in 2014. Finally made it to the majors this year. It was a seven-year journey. He will start for the Indians Sunday at Target Field. Saturday, it's baffling to me. My son had a game at noon in Robbinsdale. It started to rain 
latter part of the game, but nothing heavy. We were playing literally five, six, seven miles from Target Field. I have no idea why the Twins called off Saturday's game. A big-time head-scratcher. Just doesn't make much sense to me. They could have gotten today's game. And so Sam Hentges was supposed to start on Saturday today for the Indians. But with the postponement, the game will be made up as part of a split doubleheader on Tuesday, September 14th. Sam is now pushed back to starting on Sunday afternoon at Target Field. Anyway, on Thursday, I went over to his house in the Moundsview School District. Dave Hentges is Sam's dad. I caught up with Dave. What a thrill, right, for dad to be able to see Sam. So Dave and Sam used to go to Twins games at Target Field 2010, 2011, 2012. How cool will it now be on Sunday for Dave to be sitting in the stands watching his son on the mound, his son playing, competing against the Twins. How cool will that be? Well, let's find out. Dave will put it into his own words. Here's my conversation with Sam Hentges' dad, Dave Hentges. Dave, I suppose on the on the as good as a get scale, when Sam makes his major league debut, uh, presumably nothing can top that. But Saturday, like here in his backyard, hometown, starting against the Twins, like on the as good as it gets scale, it's got to be right up there. Dream come true. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sam's been working seven years very hard to get to this point. And yeah, as you said, to, to pitch in target field. His last time he was there was the championship game for Moundsview. So, yeah. Great memory back then, and and hopefully Saturday will be a great day. How often, I mean, he was busy, right? Like, I'm thinking 2010, 2011, 2012, maybe even 2013 and 2014. Did you take Sam to many Twins games at Target Field? Yeah, yeah. Um, loved going to Target Field. I think it's his favorite, favorite stadium. Um, yeah, the whole family. We were a baseball family, uh, so we went to a lot of Twins games, absolutely. The reason I bring that up, I'm just thinking as you're sitting there on Saturday afternoon, could that maybe possibly jar some memories as you're sitting there, you know, eight, nine years ago with Sam watching and now you see him out there playing? Every game has been <laughs> emotional. Uh, so I'm almost tearing up right now. No, it's, it's, uh, it's been great. Yes, it'll be very emotional and we'll have a lot of family in the stands uh, cheering him on, a lot of friends. So it will be, uh, it will be definitely emotional for us. Dave, you're saying you're getting emotional now. Are you typically one that gets emotional? <laughs> um, not really, but some something about baseball does it to me. Uh, I guess they're yeah, baseball and and family. So absolutely, it'll 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 be a it'll be a great day on Saturday. When did you realize? I mean, maybe it was when he was 10, 11, 12, 13 that you know what, my son has a chance here. You never know. I mean, he he's been a good baseball player since probably that age 10 11 and and i could see maybe not as a pitcher i i thought as a hitter first baseman he was probably a better first baseman in high school than he was a pitcher but um the local scout saw his ceiling higher as a pitcher so it's turned out well <laughs> i mean i remember i mean we have some video going back to probably his junior and senior years at Moundsview of him just crushing some balls and wasn't there some disagreement? I mean, some scouts said, yeah, I love the arm, but weren't there some scouts that said, yeah, I think the bat does project? Oh, absolutely. Talking to Les Pajari, who was the scout at the time for the Indians, 
he thought his bat could probably uh, get him drafted as well. But again, the higher ceiling as a pitcher. What was the weight like? So drafted in 14, I mean, long time, right, to get to this point. For a lot of the 2014 draft picks, this never happens. Well, as a pitcher and, and definitely a starting pitcher, it takes time. A lot of development. Uh, um, and it just, it just throughout, you know, to, to climb the ranks in the minor leagues, it takes a long time and a lot of work. And uh, you don't see many pitchers unless they're coming from college that go, they don't go right into the big leagues. It takes at least two, three years if they're in college, but out of high school, yeah, it's about five to seven years. If I told you, let's circle back a year, if I told you mid-June of 2020, that one year later, Sam would be starting a game for the Indians at Target Field. What would you have told me? <laughs> you know what? I would have believed you because of all the hard work he's done and the time he's spent in the minor leagues. I think, you know, being drafted in 2014, six, seven years later, yeah, that's about the, good, the right time frame. Have you noticed any kind of welcome to the big league moments? I mean, he's had a chance to face, you know, Aaron Judge, right? Like, as you're watching, you know, presumably you have the, the baseball package. You're able to watch every game. Right. You're monitoring every pitch he throws. You know, I guess what, what stands out the most to you? The Yankee game where he got the win. And, and everything that, that went after the, you know, the, the tradition of the first, the rookie who gets his first win type of thing that happened in the locker room that I won't mention. <laughs> But that, that was fun. And, and you know, the behind-the-scenes stuff that goes on, um, the backstories. I love hearing that from Sam. So, yeah, that, that, was, that was a great moment, especially against the Yankees. Heading into Saturday, the way he's been throwing, you know, most recently, I mean, he's rolling pretty good right now. Right, but you know baseball. <laughs> You're great one day and the next day not so much. And... You just take it day by day. That's why, you know, if you have a bad outing, you just, okay, on to the next one. But, but um, yeah, the last three outings for Sam have been pretty good. So hopefully that continues. How many family and friends total will be there this weekend? <laughs> uh, friends, I don't know. I, I know there's, family-wise, we'll probably have about 50, 60. Yeah, and we're all going to sit in one section. So we'll be loud. <laughs> so was it on you then to secure all the tickets? Sam helped. Absolutely. No, that's, that's Sam. Sam uh, got a lot of tickets for us. So, yeah. Good organization, right? Like, I'm just thinking, if you're a pitcher, the way the Indians develop arms, like, I would think there's not many better organizations he could have joined. No. It, the Indians have been nothing but class, both on and off the field for us. I mean, they, they, they've been great to us and our family. Um, as far as on the field, you're right. They, they develop, and that's why maybe it takes that long for a high school pitcher to develop because they do it the right way. Does the cliche, I'll leave you after this, maybe Jeff has a question, but does the cliche hold true that time flies? I mean, does it seem like it was yesterday we were talking about, you know, my 10-year-old son, does it seem like it was yesterday that, you know, you were either coaching or watching him play as a 10, 11-year-old, and now all of a sudden he's engaged, like he's, he's a full-fledged adult? Absolutely. And, yeah, I mean, I, I referenced the, the Moundsview state championship game. It's like we, we were there last night. So, yeah, it does fly. It's been a good ride. Jeff, you got anything? How about the, I'll say the Moundsview community? I mean, I went to a, a game at the Chaska Athletic Park, and I saw a picture of Sam. 
on the wall and whatnot. Oh, really? And we saw, I saw Will Rogers play. I saw Mason Dean play and all these other kids. I mean, how about just the way Moundsview over the years has been developing these players and Sam, at least for right now, has been one of the higher ones to go through that system. Great youth program at, in Shoreview and, and the surrounding area. So, yeah, to answer that question, Moundsview's, they've had great high school teams over the last 10 years. And, yeah, I think uh, it has a lot to do with the, the youth uh, baseball program and good coaches and, and just the interest at, in the community. Sam Hench is getting a lot of opportunities for the Indians because the Indians, literally their entire starting rotation is hurt right now or maybe been sent down like Logan Allen, but like Plesak hurt. Bieber hurt, like go up and down the list. I mean, the Indians dealing with what a lot of teams are dealing with injury after injury, but that also means opportunity. So Sam Hentges was good in his last start against the pirates. We'll see if he can continue that run against the twins on Sunday at target field. All right. We wrap up scoop podcast episode 356 with my conversation the other day with gophers football commitment. He is a cornerback from the state of Louisiana. His name is Tariq Watson. Here is my conversation with Gophers 2022 football commitment, Tariq Watson. Tariq, congratulations on committing to the University of Minnesota. Take us through your thought process. Why did you choose to be a Gopher? I chose to be a Gopher because... Coach Fleck, he, like, we when we was talking, what he was saying actually reminded me of my old high school coach, Coach Skip. And, man, like, his his program really, like, it's, it's for football, but it's also for, like, us. And, like, it helped us develop. Like, he, he, he went, oh. I mean, he wants you. Okay. I mean, you're right, because, you know, I've known Coach Fleck for, for a while. I mean, ever since he left Western Michigan to come here to Minnesota, He's about producing. I mean, you know, he talks the talk, but he also walks the walk. He backs up what he talks about, wanting to raise quality young men. That, that do yeah, you feel that's... like that, that PJ is almost like a father figure? Actually, I do. Like, when when, when I went to his lake house, I, I'm like, I'm enjoying the time talking to him. I feel like him and also the coaches, I feel like I was like they sent to them. Like, they were treating me like they sent. It was no fake. No fake vibe. Everything was real. And that was one reason why I committed to the University of Minnesota, because I felt it. Like, I really felt that way. Like, I'm like, I really, I really trust what they were saying. I feel like everything they was telling me was the truth. So take us a little bit more through your visit. So you got to go to PJ's Lake House. You got to experience campus, just everything that you experienced when you visited here in Minnesota. It was just, it was A+. plus. Yes. I went to the Mall of America, Mall of America, and when I said that mall is big, it's big. I only went to like five stores. Like, I didn't get nothing, but this this going to five stores, and they probably got hundreds or more. I went to um, I went to the restaurant. They I forgot the name of it, but they have a they had us eating a big steak. I ended up finishing it, but like it was it was it was just crazy. Like I enjoyed my time. Like I really everything that we did, I enjoyed. How much is this a dream come true? That that presumably Tariq you've been dreaming for a long time about committing to a power five program you know heck you're going to play in 
we can debate what the best conference is, Big Ten or SEC, but one of the two best conferences in the country. How much of this is a dream come true now that you've made this commitment? Like, since I was young, I used to, I used to run around in my neighborhood. Everybody used to try to chase me. They couldn't get me. But since I was young, playing, playing college football and going to the NFL was my dream. I didn't really play football my whole life. Like I had like I started when I was when I was five and then I stopped. Then I didn't start again until I was 10. Then I stopped again. Then I started playing football my eighth grade year. But I didn't really start playing playing football until really my 10th grade year. So I really played for like two years. But but like coming to like committing to a college is a big thing to me because I really want to show people who I am. I, I like it has been a dream to me and I have more. I have more things I want to do as I'm becoming like a future Hall of Famer, stuff like that. Like I like I'm the type of guy that really I like. I want the biggest of the biggest. Like a lot of people say they want to go to the NFL. Nah, I want to go to the NFL and be a Hall of Fame. I want to be like a Drew Brees, played for a long time. Like that's me. But I had a lot of people doubting me when I was young. They like oh, you can't play football, and I, I was just the one that just ignored it and kept going. I actually proved a lot of people wrong. I had people, once I proved them wrong, they came up to me and apologized. But, like, it was like, well, you already doubted me. Like, so, but, like, now a lot of, now I actually inspire a lot of my teammates and family, and it just feels so good to hear that, and it makes me keep going. Like, so, it's a lot of, it's a, it's a lot of things that come with that. So, like. Take me back, Tariq, to the phone call. Was it a phone call? In fact, maybe it was a text message. I don't know, but. When you alerted Coach Fleck, when you alerted the Gopher staff that that you do want to play for them, take me back to that moment. What was what was that call, or or however you did it? What was that experience like? Oh, but the way I did it, I actually went up to Coach and told him. I actually had a I had a conversation with him first, then I told him. But like saying that I was nervous. Then once everybody found out, commit everybody was happy and like excited. I was I was excited too, but I didn't know what to expect. I didn't like because I never committed for the first time. So I'm 100 percent in Minnesota. I ain't never. I'm not thinking about decommitting. So it was actually fun down. So I like us it. through what kind of cornerback you are. You one that enjoys you know man to man type coverage that you want to lock down the opposition's top receiver. Do you also take pride in being a really good tackler? Mm-hmm. My whole life. I, I used to look up to um well still do um Earl Thomas I used to watch him a lot and I remember him saying when he was young he used to him and his brother used to tackle each other while in the pass and I actually did it with my brother before but tackling is something I I really like doing but the type of like as in corner I like man to man I like man to man when I want to get physical I like man but when it like when it comes to zone I like to outsmart the quarterback I like you know picking people off but. I'm really balanced with it, but I think I think I'm, I think like my strength when it's come to tackling, finding the ball and man covers. Like I, I think I'm really good at that. That's, so the that's my type of defense the Gophers run that fits very well the kind of cornerback you are. This is a good defense for your skill set. Yes, the, they explained to me already, and I think I would fit very well in the scheme. So what did they say? I mean, how exactly? Do they envision you fitting in? And and did they compare you to any players they've had the last few years? Actually, they compare they compare me to somebody I really like. Uh, 
Antoine Winfield Jr., that's my dude. I had the crazy part about it, like, a year ago, like, when they won the, the bowl, I was like, man, I like that dude. Like, he, like, my size, short. He, like, he got to prove. He already got to prove a lot of people wrong because his height. And the way he was playing, he was playing like he was, like, six, seven. You know I'm like, the, like, he was playing like he was big. But, like, the crazy part about it, I was like, I'm, like, I actually said, I'm, I'm going to be playing at the University of Minnesota. Now look at me. But I really look up to him. But, um, yeah, um, they told me they was going to bless me a lot, you know, play a lot of man, boundary corner, field corner. It's whatever, it's whatever they need me at. And me, personally, I'm willing to do it, whether it's on offense, in defense, specialty. That's just, I'm that type of guy. Like, I, I want to be that type of guy. I want to be that guy. When did they first offer you? Like, how fast did things move? Like, did they offer you a while ago, or was it recently? And you take the visit here, and next thing you know, you're committing to Minnesota. Um, I believe they offered. They offered. I went to an SMU camp. I forgot the date, but like they offered me, I believe a week or two after that. But it was a phone call from Coach Haynes. He called me. I was shocked. Like, so I don't remember the actual date, but yeah. Who else offered you? Like, who who was it hard to say no to? Right. You can only say yes to one program. You have to say no to a bunch of different programs. Who was it hard to say no to? Uh, the universe, like the universe, I mean, um, the University of Virginia. It was hard to say no because I knew a lot of people on that staff, and I, uh, my former teammate, he played for them, so it was kind of hard. So I actually broke it down by what's best for me, what fit best for me. You know, the culture in the state teammates I, I broke every piece down and that's how I came to Minnesota so so take me through what will keep you busy the rest of the summer you know will it just be a lot of football workouts with your teammates and then get ready for for your senior year yeah that um what's gonna keep me busy summer workout seven on seven with my team you know training training with my brother you know lifting that's what really gonna keep me busy that's what I'm really planning on actually planning on trying to put on more weight for the football season, so well, keep the pace up. I don't want to. I don't want to fall down. I want to keep going. I want to keep rising. That's one thing. Like that's that's one thing. So yeah, I'm planning on staying very busy. So. And then, would you like to be here as soon as January? Like when you're done yeah. with your high school season, do you want to get up here early for winter workouts and for spring practice? I actually do. I want to. I want to get to know the team scheme as soon as possible like i'm that i like i want it early so yeah i'm that type of guy like i'm greedy i want it like give it to me i'm ready i'll leave you with this Tariq. what else should we know about you as as we here in minnesota you know speak to gophers fans here you know as they get to know you what else should they know about you what else is important to know about you i'm a funny guy i really like sports i'm competitive when it comes to the sport I love, I'm really competitive. I get quiet when it's actually time. Like for the actual event, I get quiet because I'm focused. So you'll see me playing around, you know, but when it comes to practice and the actual game, I'm focused. I'm there. I want to win. I want to be the best. So that's me. I like to, oh, I like playing games too. Like that's one thing. I, I, I like playing games. So I'm all time. I play the game a lot. So. And you're a people person. You mentioned how you've inspired some people. Like, do you take mm -hmm. pride in that? Like, you know, do you like giving back as much as you can? I actually do. Um, 
I actually do. And the reason why I, I, I guess I could say because I picture like when I was young, I always wanted like a little brother and I wanted him to be, I wanted me and him to play in the same, you know, so I was that type of guy. So I look at it like my teammates, I try to get them as much information as I can. When I go to camps, I tell them because they're going to go to camps next. I, I give them like heads up, all that. I, I look for seven on seven teams for them so they can play. Like I try to I try to help out as many people as I can. You can't help you can't help out everybody. You only can help the, you only can help out people that that want it. But yeah, I always I can say I always did wanted to help people out and always try my best. So yeah. Tariq again, congratulations. Thank you for doing this, okay? No problem. I greatly appreciate Tariq's time. If you're into gopher football recruiting, on the last Scoop podcast, Spencer Alvarez, Columbia Heights High School, and Ike White, a receiver that plays in Baltimore, both of them are gopher football 2022 commitments. They both were on Scoop podcast episode 355 last week. I appreciate Tariq Watson joining here on Scoop podcast episode 355. And 56. All right, we are done on this Saturday night. Always appreciate you listening. Scoop Podcast episode 356 is in the books. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Stay safe, stay sane.